Good morning. We are continuing our study, our wrapping up of Second Peter chapter 3, and launching off the, the end of Second Peter chapter 3, uh, where he's actually warned us, and actually this is carried throughout the whole book, he's cautioning us and warning us and asking us to be on the alert against every false teaching. And as we talked about, that doesn't simply mean false doctrines. Those might be more obvious to us once we've been believers and been in the Word for a while, a false doctrine. But also the, the cautions of believing a lie in the moment. So that even if my doctrine is correct, the challenge and the warning is to make sure my thinking in each moment fits the truth of that doctrine. So that I could, I could sign with full passion and agreement, I could sign a statement of faith, and if you're not familiar with the statement of faith for our congregation, I would encourage you to, to get familiar with that. You can go to gbfbastrop.org and get that statement of faith. And we could sign that statement of faith and still go through our week believing lies. So the challenge is protect your hearts against false teaching and against false doctrine, but go even deeper into protecting our hearts against daily lies and simply watering down the truth and how it applies to a tough moment, how it applies to a difficult moment of temptation or, or a challenging moment of need or of loneliness or of sorrow or of grief or of tragedy or of plenty and of pleasure and, and delight and believing something that's false in that moment as well. So that caution about not getting led astray by something false, that really matters to our spiritual growth and our spiritual battle. He also cautions us about simply losing passion, about losing steadfastness, of, of losing a heart of, of commitment to the things that we've been given. And as, we, as I mentioned last week, that's probably the biggest challenge for most of us. Along with that daily thought life is the daily pursuit of passion, the, the refreshing day-by-day -day elevation of our, our unity and oneness and passion to be in a love relationship with Jesus Christ. It's really interesting how easy it is for the human heart all over the planet to be drawn to religion and still leave out a genuine love relationship with a living God. To still leave out, even as believers, to leave out a genuine love relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet that's what's put in front of us as the real thing. So he cautions us against all this. And his antidote, as we talked about, was growth. And from that, we're launching over to Ephesians. Chapter 6, so if you'll go back to Ephesians chapter 6, we're, we're looking at this, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. I'm going to pause there for a second and incorporate 
So our Bible reading this morning, earlier in the service, was 1 Peter. So if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 for just a moment, where Peter gives us this warning, starting in verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And so we're given this extra caution, and it's, it fits with what Ephesians 6 says, that Satan is a schemer. And, and that, that use, that description is used more than once in the New Testament. Satan is a clever planner. He schemes against us. And one of the things that we've talked about plenty of times and remains true, Satan, Lucifer, is one finite being. He is not omniscient. He's not the anti-God. He's not everywhere. He is one finite being, but his forces are everywhere you and I are going to go. Those forces of darkness surround us. And I, I feel like I, can't, I have to keep repeating myself on this. And yet at the same time that God says we're not to live in fear. That it's not a matter that I see the enemy everywhere and now I'm afraid. We have in Ephesians 2 this beautiful picture. And it, and it is a, an amazing picture. And, and our faith means that we believe it to be accurate. And it's where Ephesians chapter 1 ends by saying that God has used all of his power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead and then to raise him above every name, every power, every dominion, every authority. Jesus is above all of that. And then Ephesians 2 says that you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were made alive with him and you were placed in Christ. So we need this clear image that as we're talking about spiritual battle, that we, we, never, we never falsely see it like this. Here's God, and He's just majestic. Here's planet Earth, and here, here you and I are down here on the planet. Um, this is an accurate representation, actually, of the planet Earth. And, and that somehow then... Here, here's all these forces of darkness. And that somehow you and I live under this cloud of darkness. And every now and then, God can zap a little help. We can zap a little prayer. And, and somehow, this sort of gets us through. This feels frequently like how it is. This is not how it is. That what he's describing is that I'm not going to try to draw my whole picture because it would take a long time. There's, there's the double seat. There's Jesus Christ. There's the Father. Here's planet Earth. Here's Satan. And I've been raised up and seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. And that's practical knowledge for spiritual battle. That's not just something that we agree on or think about for a few minutes on Sunday morning. 
that God's saying as you go into your spiritual battles that we're going to keep talking about, that you're recognizing those forces of darkness and their authority over the planet is real. We don't have to pretend it's not real, but that we comprehend that for this battle, we're in Christ. So as we continue with this, Oh, and actually, I want to say this. It, it says he's like, a prow- he's like a roaring lion prowling. So he's looking for someone to bring down. Those forces of darkness are looking for the moment of vulnerability. And as we go into the full armor of God, we're going to see some specific ways that God's saying, I can protect you from that. I can protect you from that vulnerability to the enemy if you're putting on the full armor. So let's go back to Ephesians and continue with that armor. Therefore, verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. A quick reminder on those words. Stand firm means I don't get moved because the enemy attacked. I don't don't get pushed back because the enemy attacked. Can the enemy's attack bring me sorrow? How would you answer that? Yes. Can the enemy's attack bring me anguish? Yes. Can the enemy's attack bring me tragedy? Yes. Can the enemy's attack bring me weariness and discouragement? Yes. Does the enemy have enough power to push me away from God just because I'm under attack and experiencing all those things? No. And that, and that has to be part of our, our growing wisdom and application of faith is, Father, I can be on my face in sorrow and grief and tragedy and hurt and anguish and confusion and still proclaim in agreement with the living Word of God and the living God who wrote it, I will not be moved. So I'm going to lay here in a puddle of anguish, weeping on the floor, but I'm not going backwards. So when he says stand firm three times in this passage, that's the mindset that you and I go, I won't let the enemy push me away from God. I will not allow this attack, no matter how it anguishes me or breaks my heart, I will not allow it to push me away from him, push me back in my faith. But it's interesting, he adds the word resist here, because the the word resist in this application means exactly what you would think it means. It means push back. I don't just go, I'm going to try not to move. It's when I see what the enemy's working on, I push forward. When I see the enemy wants me to go in that direction, I determine even more and practically apply this. I move forward. We talked about that out of Romans 8, 37, that we overwhelmingly conquer. And so he goes on and says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. And having put on the, I can never say that, the breastplate of righteousness. So we talked about that last week. I'll try not to re-preach last week's sermon. But that recognition that girding the loins meant you step aside from casual mindset. You gather up your casual clothing and you belt them so that you're mobile and deadly for, for battle. So that you're ready to do effective battle. And the recognition that the truth, the more things God has told me that I agree with Him on, the more prepared I am to build my mindset where I don't live casual. And I can enjoy an evening off with friends. I can enjoy a good movie. I can enjoy um, 
a break at the lake. I can enjoy all the good things of life that God bestows on us, but that I keep this mindset that I'm always in battle mode for spiritual things. Doesn't mean I can't laugh. Doesn't mean I can't enjoy. Doesn't mean I can't have a corny sense of humor. How many people here were praying that God would cure me of my corny sense? It's not going to happen. So that freedom to say, Father, we're free to enjoy and love and laugh and keep a mindset of spiritual battle. So that girding of our loins with truth means the more I'm immersed in the truth, the more my awareness is trained. Uh, I've used this, this example before, but in, in the military, in special forces, and even more and more the regular military, they use this phrase, situational awareness. And it basically means I pay attention to what's going on around me. So that someone could say, well, let's camp here and get ready to, to, to rest for the night. And situational awareness means, oh, we're going to get ready to camp and we're going to lay out our gear for sleep. But we're never losing sight of the fact that in the next minute, somebody could come through those trees and attack us. So we're ready. And that even includes, we might even take turns. So that Bob has watch while I rest. And then later I have rest while Bob... Did I say that right? I gave myself two rests, didn't I? <laughs> Not surprising. Okay. But that we trade off, and that is actually practically true for the body of Christ. Seriously. You will not be able to fight all the time. You need brothers and sisters and fellow warriors who will fight with you and for you. So that when you're weak, you're surrounded by strong people. And when they're weak, you commit yourself to be one of the strong people standing with them. So we get to recognize this means we have to be embedded in fellowship. We have to be embedded in fellowship. There's all kinds of analogies I've heard people use out of that, but we'll leave it at that. But he goes on to this. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, which we talked about last week. That's not my righteousness. That is the righteousness of Jesus Christ bestowed on me. And now moving on in verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so the recognition that a Roman warrior, which this is modeled after, the Roman warrior didn't just casually put on any old thing. You know, today I'm going to wear my, my loafers and today I'm going to wear my uh, wingtips. It's no, I need battle footwear. I need footwear that will get a grip. I need footwear that will protect my shins. And so this is an interesting thing that God's doing with the armor of the Roman soldier because he's saying, now, here's, here's your armor. Be ready to share the gospel of peace with truth and awareness. So this, this recognition that in this kingdom, every believer is a witness. Every believer is not gifted with the gift of evangelism. Every believer gets to carry the gospel. Every believer. How many people here have known children to share the gospel? Okay. How many here, you, you don't have to raise your hands for this. How many here as adults were sometimes fearful of sharing the gospel? So it's not a matter of knowledge. It's not a matter of human maturity. 
It means I get to see myself as a natural purveyor of the truth. I get to learn to agree with God more and more. Father, it is part of my everyday calling that I'm ready to share the gospel. We won't go read it, but there's, there's a passage in Isaiah where he says, you know, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who come bearing good news. You have good news. Somebody in your life will get to hear the good news from you. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean that you pull out your Bible and you run them through a, a five-minute Bible study, but that somehow your life and your words help someone turn to the awareness that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And I, and I like this. He says, it's the gospel of peace. So there's a church, I will not even mention their name because it's not worthy of mention. There's a church that likes to show up at a lot of public events to, to spew condemnation and hatred for people. That's not the gospel of peace. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not the gospel, biblically. He says the gospel of peace. Go to Romans 5 for a second. Therefore, starting at verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance proven character, proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So this gospel of peace means that when you're sharing somebody what God is sharing with somebody what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ, what you're offering them is the end of their war with God. And we could go to other passages, several passages that talk about the fact that before we're believers, we are at war with God. We are hostile to the things of God. And it's not until we're reconciled with God through this gospel, through this death on the cross, that now we can truthfully say, Father, thank you. The war between you and me is over. And that's what you're offering when you're ready to share the gospel to somebody else. That they can now be in a restored union with the God who created them without fear. When he says in, in 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear, that perfect love that has cast out fear is for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So that now, as a believer, you never have to be afraid of God again. Now, you still get to be wise about the discipline of the Father for unrepentant sin. So we're not going to go to all that right now because this is about the gospel of peace. But believers can face discipline by a loving Father who wants to bring us back on track. That is not the punishment we need to fear that is promised to an unrepentant world. It is a loving Father restoring us to our standing. So we should be 
deeply respectful of the reality of discipline in our lives as believers. But without fear, because we comprehend, Father, even your discipline, and Hebrews 13 says this, even your discipline is an act of love. Even your discipline is an act of genuine love for me. I don't have to be afraid of discipline. In fact, if I'm wandering astray, and your discipline brings me back on track, then eventually I get to say thank you for that discipline. In fact, in practical terms, uh, I'll ask for a show of hands again. How many people here who are now grown up, so you can't answer this one. How many people here who are, who are in a sense are adults now, or at least look like adults? How many people would say, I'm now grateful for the discipline that my parents gave me? Okay. Most hands went up. And, and you're just wise ahead of your years. That's great. <laughs> because that is wisdom. Seriously. That is wisdom to recognize my parents' discipline is good for me, not a thing I have to fear. It helps grow me into the man or woman I was designed to be. So I'm still at peace with God, even in a moment of discipline. Because we're not at war. We're, we're in a moment of parenting. We're in a moment where he's not my enemy, but he's my restoration and and he's my maturation. So this gospel of peace gets to be my mindset. Now, here's the thing that's really important. If I'm going to share the gospel of peace, I better know the gospel of peace. And for for all of us as Christians, that actually goes deeper than simply, did I pray to receive Christ? Because that might have genuinely been my moment of salvation. But I want to understand it broader and I want to understand it deeper so that when I'm sharing it with somebody and they bring up a challenge, they bring up a confusion, they they bring up something out of their experience that doesn't fit with my experience, that I, I know more of the truth of this gospel out of the Word of God so that I can get around that different experience and still offer them the truth of this peace with God. So you and I will never be finished learning the gospel of peace. So this gospel of peace is a gift, and that better be at the core of what I'm sharing. So out of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which most of you are familiar with, um, this might be all the notes you take home off the board today, but I'm going to try to remember that the board is there. That that Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is, is a recognition that no one is saved by works. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So that recognition that even after I'm a believer for a while, and by the grace of God, maybe my my act is cleaner, so to speak. I have cleaned up my act by the power of God, that I keep remembering the gospel I'm sharing with somebody is not about how much better I am now, than I was before. That's not the gospel. That's the outcome of the gospel in my life. I'm not sharing with them the good news of how good Reg is, or how how good Troy is, or, or how good Aaron is. I'm not sharing with them the truth of how good I am. There is no power to save anybody on that. I'm sharing with them the truth that I could never be good enough, and my father has sacrificed his only son to pay for my sin, so in a sense, I could be legally forgiven. By the full righteousness of God, my sins are paid for, 
and now I can be forgiven. So that we remember this as we grow and share that gospel. And he goes on. Oh, and I want to remember, I want to remind you of this. We're looking at this because he's saying that's part of your armor. That's part of how you will stand against the enemy today is that you're ready to share the good news with somebody. Not that you have, um, you know, the Roman road memorized. Not that you have the four, what do they call it? Four spiritual laws. Those are tools. And you could keep that little pamphlet with the four spiritual laws in your back pocket all day long and still not have this mindset. So this is about a heart that says, Father, I'm ready to share the good news with anybody that you give me opportunity for. I'm ready to give a reason for the hope that is in me if somebody asks, which must mean they're looking at my life and seeing some hope. So if I see somebody who's always negative and complaining and negative and complaining, and they're always walking around under a dark cloud and they're always bad-mouthing their life, that's not the person I'm going to go and say, hey, tell me about the hope that is in you. So this is actually a real challenge for us. Does my mindset, do the words coming out of my mouth, and not because I'm putting on a front, but because the truth is I am growing in my genuine awareness of the goodness of my God so that I can grieve, I can actually sorrow over some painful situation in my life with a non-believer. I don't have to hide that from them. But they would still go, wow, right in the middle of that tragedy, I still hear your hope. Right in the middle of that sorrow, I still see your expectations of God's goodness. Where does that hope come from? So part of sharing the gospel is that the gospel is having an impact on us. And we have a mindset that says, I'm ready to share that hope with you. And it protects me from the attacks of the enemy. And he goes on to say this. Oops, let me get back to Ephesians. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And this is, this is an interesting one. We were talking in uh, Sunday school this morning of comprehending the biblical use of the word faith. So the recognition that, that we have so many beautiful things written about faith. And we have this in, in Genesis 15.6. That Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed God. James now gives us, um, in James 3, Abraham acted on his faith. So that one of the things we get to recognize in this shield of faith, if this shield of faith is going to be an effective protection for me against the attacks of the enemy, that I'm recognizing every time I see something in Scripture and I comprehend it, that I'm going to say, now, Father, how would I act on this? What will I go do because this is true? What will I stop doing 
because this is true. What will I do different? What will I think different? What will I speak different? What will I do different? Because I believe you. And that constant challenge, and it is a challenge, that constant challenge is, I need to keep growing and even understanding what God means and wants. So Paul talks about the fact, and I think it's in Acts 20, where he says, I determined to come preach the whole council. And I like that. The whole council of God. So that if you and I are going to be keep growing in how we, we take up the shield of faith, that we're not cherry-picking the things God says that we like or that are easy or convenient. And actually, I've known a few people, not many, but I've known a few people who actually cherry-pick the most difficult things. And, and almost, you know, want to, like, whip themselves with the hard stuff. We have to take the whole counsel so that I take the joyful things and the loving things and the amazing offerings and gifts that God gives me. I take all the encouragements and uplifts and I take the hard commands. I, I take the hard corrections. That I say, Father, if I'm going to believe you, I cannot cherry pick which words you speak that I'm going to keep. I want to, I want to grow wiser and stronger and wiser and stronger and saying, Father, you're free to show me anything. And even whether it's hard, whether it's difficult, whether I'm inclined that way or not, I want to be wise enough to, to say, Father, if you said it, that's enough for me to receive it. But here's part of the, the additional challenge with the whole counsel of God. Uh, actually, Isaiah is he's a good guy. Uh, Isaiah, I think it's in Isaiah 28, but he talks about this, that the, the truth is delivered line upon line, precept upon precept. And he says a little bit here, a little bit there. So we could have a, a one weekend marathon on any passage of scripture. And we just say, you know what, we're going to get the best Bible scholars in here. And, and we're going to get the best language Greek and Hebrew experts in here. And we're going to get all the good stuff to really teach what this passage is about. And we could have a marvelous weekend studying one passage of Scripture. And God will say, wasn't that an amazing weekend I planned for you? You guys spent three days studying one verse with all the best resources. And then God would immediately say, now don't you foolishly believe that that was all I had to say about that passage. And don't you foolishly believe that that passage is all I have to say about that topic. So we've talked about this before. If I want to understand prayer, I better be open to, to look at every passage that teaches about prayer. And, and I have some of my favorites. You may have some of your favorites. I've known other people that have their, their favorite verses, verses for prayer. It's okay to have a favorite. It's not okay to say, and I'm going to keep my favorite and ignore the others. Because my favorite passage serves my purposes. So one of the toughest ones, now I'm just talking to the husbands here. Um, one of my favorite passages for, for prayer challenge is in 1 Peter 3, 7, where he says, Now husbands, live with your wives in an understanding manner, as with a weaker vessel. There's a real 21st century gender-free piece of teaching. Live with your wives in an understanding manner as with 
a weaker vessel, and yet grant her honor as a joint heir in the grace of life. So I'll, let me elucidate real quickly on those two parts. He's saying, you're going you're gonna to need supernatural power to understand the needs and hearts of your wife. She needs things from you that you don't need from her. <coughs> By God's design. Not because she actually is inferior, because she needs different things by design, and you won't even understand that if you're not seeking God for wisdom and understanding. So I've had, through, through 33 years of doing counseling, I've lost track of how many husbands have said this, actually in words. It's just silly that she needs that. I don't need that. But it feels silly because we've not yet gone to God for wisdom. But then he says, and grant her honor. So no matter how I'm thinking, I need, to, I need God's help and wisdom to understand my wife's heart and needs. I also better be doing this, that I give her the full honor that goes with the fact that she inherited all of Jesus Christ the same as I did. All of Jesus Christ dwells within her. I didn't get a big slice of Jesus, and she got a tiny little inferior slice of Jesus. Or, or she got a, a little more ignorant slice, or, or she got something less. He's saying, as a full joint heir, everything I've inherited of Jesus Christ, Carrie has inherited, and I better treat her with the honor that goes with that inheritance. And then he does the scary thing. Pursue this understanding and pursue this honor, lest your prayers be hindered. What? So if I screw these two things up, yep, you screw those two things up, you have reduced the effectiveness of your prayer life. But Father, my favorite passage over here says that whatever I ask in your name, I receive. He goes, yeah, but I, I was hoping you wanted the whole counsel and not just the piece that you like. So for us to exercise faith in God really means in every area where we're saying, Father, if there's more for me to understand, teach me more. And I'm willing to receive it. I won't say, gosh, I've gotten really comfortable with this interpretation. This, this new passage you're showing me sort of messes with that. I think I'm going to just... Sort of sweep that one under the rug and keep what I'm comfortable with. That is not full faith. That is not a mature faith. That is a self-serving faith. And it doesn't mean I don't really believe what God's already said, but now he's saying that the point isn't to believe one thing I've said. The point is that you're trusting me. You're trusting me so that everything I speak becomes power and life and effectiveness for you, and you're ready to receive it even if it shakes you up, changes your approach, challenges your personality, is different than what mommy taught you 47 years ago, that you're ready to learn the new thing because it's in my word and you're, you're here to hear the whole counsel of God. And, and once again, like Peter said to Jesus, when a lot of disciples left, a lot of them left, when Jesus started getting to the hard stuff, and he turns to his own, to the, to the inner circle of 12, and he says, are you guys leaving too? And Peter says something really amazing that applies to this. He says, where else would we go? You have words of life. So that part of our wisdom is, Father, your whole counsel fills my life. 
Your counsel blossoms my life. Your whole counsel brings wisdom and effectiveness to my life, to my, to my marriage, to my parenting, to my friendship, to my mindset at work and, and at school. My, my mindset while I go through a difficult day or, or a wonderful, peaceful, joyful day. I need your whole counsel because your whole counsel brings me life. So this recognition that we're going into the Word and now we're learning things and, and our understanding is expanding. And he's saying, that's the shield of faith I want you to pick up. That you're saying, I'm going to resist all the attacks of the enemy today. He talks about it as extinguishing arrows. So that recognition, the enemy will attack you today. The forces of darkness will attack you today. I don't know how. Some of it will be really obvious. Most of it will be pretty subtle. Because the enemy doesn't need us to go do horrible things. He just needs us to slide away from passion to the real thing. So most of it will be pretty subtle for believers. And what he's saying is, if you're constantly picking up this shield and you're immersing yourself in a full agreement with my whole counsel, you will be ready to extinguish those attacks. They'll get snuffed out. Instead of some being some huge threat that's going to burn you up, that shield just extinguishes them. They're out. And again, not because I'm smarter than the enemy, but because I go to my Father's heart and I believe what He tells me. I go to my Father's heart and I believe what He tells me. And one thing I would encourage you, and I meant to say this at the very beginning, so I want to say it right now, and then you can retroactively apply that to the whole sermon. That you would be as much as possible prayerfully aware, Father, where are my spiritual battles right now? Where am I contending against the enemy right now? And again, for for some of you, that will be a very definite battle about temptation to sin. For some of you, it will be a very definite temptation to give power and priority and energy and strength to something that distracts you from the love relationship with God, even if that thing in and of itself is good. I know I've shared this before, but this this happened again just recently, where several times through the years I've had a pastor come for counseling where they could actually say, I let my ministry replace my love for God. And and some of these guys are well-respected and effective pastors. They're doing the work of God. And then they realized, and, and some of them, a couple of them recently, I'd say in the last year, ha- have said this through tears. I've lost my love for God. I still love doing ministry. And that's why they came to counseling, because they go, well, I better not let this go unattended to. But that recognition, we can even do the things of God and be passionate and find satisfaction in them. And then that thing ends up replacing our passion for God. So God wants us passionate about our callings. Everybody in this room who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, you are powerfully gifted and equipped for ministry. And it might be a little quiet ministry to one person. It might be a public ministry. Some of you may, particularly some of our young people, may one day be known across the planet because of your ministry. 
But whether it's a, a little quiet ministry, whether it's a, an out loud, everybody knows about it ministry, whether it's something for the body of Christ or something to bring the gospel to the lost, every believer in this room is gifted for ministry because the Word of God says so. Back to the whole council. So you and I can't disqualify ourselves from that truth and that awareness. So the calling gets to be, Father, is part of the enemy's attack is that I just sort of keep shying away from my ministry. I shy away from really believing that I have a calling and a gifting. I just want to be a bench warmer in this battle. And I really want to cheer for those guys that are in the battle. I just don't think I'm ready or equipped. That's a lie. That's the enemy's deception to keep any one of us out of the battle. So, and again, this is not a matter of guilt or do I have to look like the next man or the next woman in their ministry? No. This is all very individual between you and God to say, Father, okay, let's get over that. I, I have been thinking that I have no gifting and I have no calling and I'm ready to stop believing that lie. I want to agree with you that I'm called for ministry. So, Father, let's get going. Start showing me what it is. And even if I have no clue what it is, I'm going to look around and see what's possible and just get involved. And I may show up at that men's study, or that woman's study, or that, young, that youth group. I may just show up and see what's possible if I have a mindset that I'm ready to believe you that I have a calling. So that I stop living as if I think you're lying about that. I believe you're telling the truth. I'm ready to grow. And that, that gets to be a hallmark of this fellowship. And I really mean this. God really means this. That you and I can say, this is a fellowship of Christians who keeps growing. Doesn't mean any of us will reach perfection. But that we can say, I keep hearing what God says. I keep applying it a little bit more. Line upon line, precept upon precept. I keep gathering more of the truth. It changes me in some way. And my life moves forward. And this shield of believing what God says and acting on it will protect me from the enemy. As soon as I stop believing what he says, or as soon as I sort of believe what he says, but not enough to act on it, there will be holes in my shield. So I get to grow in believing what you say and then looking for simple, straightforward ways to act on it. I don't need to come up with a whole new organizational plan for the church. Uh, I've, I've known two or three people through the years that once God got a hold of their life, they just came up with all kinds of organizational plans to change the whole church. Oh, I got this! I figured out what we should be doing. And I will be able to move forward with God if I can just get my whole church to do this ministry. Well, you know what? If God called you to that ministry, start. Don't wait for the big organizational thing. There are ways to start. And then if that really is God's calling, other hearts will be drawn to the effectiveness of what God's doing. Start. We're going to go ahead and, and pause there. We're, as, as, uh, as is often the case, we're just not through with that passage. But as we, as we end, again, I want to give you the encouragement, the challenge. Ponder where your spiritual battles are. Go back over and read Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. And be pondering with God. Father, 
how do I apply this armor to where the enemy is attacking me? How do I do something with this so that the nature of my spiritual battles changes? That I don't just believe this is true, but now there's going to be something different in my week. There's going to be something different in my conversation with you, God. That means I'm going to go apply this and I'm going to win some battles. I want to overwhelmingly defeat the enemy. Not just stay stuck where I am, but to move forward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your incredible grace that there is no believer here, Father, no one who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, that out of any of this, your spirit intends that they take on a mindset of condemnation or shame, but that we take on a mindset of passion for growth, that we recognize we are fully equipped to go forward. And Father, I do pray that your spirit would be gracious with me during my week, gracious with each one of us during our week, that your spirit would bring to mind the truths that you've been speaking. Father, this is your word. Nobody in this room made this stuff up. You wrote these things, and you wrote them as words of life for us as believers. And you wrote them in tenderness. You wrote them in grace. You wrote them in wisdom so that we could apply them to real life. Father, I thank you that you already know the nature of the battle for each one of us. You've also promised that you're ready for every battle. Father, that you've seen all the days of our life before you live. And Father, help us to gather comfort from that. That we're not facing a thing that took you by surprise and maybe you're going to get ready in time and maybe you're not. So that, Father, whether it's temptation against sin, whether it's growing a a deeper mindset of compassion and forgiveness and love towards someone else, whether it's going deeper and believing that we are forgiven and, and genuinely loved, Father, whether it's becoming bolder about recognizing we're equipped to be witnesses to the truth, to share the gospel of peace. Father, whether it's our, our battles against finances and discouragement there, against health issues and all the discouragements there, whether it's against a, a relationship that's broken and wounded and hurtful and discouragement there. Father, all the ways that we can be under attack, that we would recognize you might not change the circumstance, but you have majestic power, Father, if we, treat, if we truly believe you, you have majestic power to change us right in the middle of that circumstance. Help us to fight these battles with your armor, with your equipping, with your truth. And Father, I also pray this, that you would help us to be sensitive to the battle of the person next to us. A friend, a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, a child, a parent, a friend. Someone we barely know, but we're aware of their battles. That we would consider how we come be fellow warriors together. Thank you for everything you're doing, Father. Everything you're doing is good. Thank you in Jesus' name.